So if you haven't been here or you've been here, we're continuing on in our series in Colossians. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, so if you are able, please stand for the reading of God's word. There's some guys coming down the aisles with some Bibles. If you need one, just uh, wave at them. If you need to keep a Bible, please do so. It's yours. Um, we're going to be reading from Colossians 2, 16 through 23. Give you a moment to get there. Colossians 2, 16 through 23. And it reads, So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or noon moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. Don't let anyone condemn you for insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels saying they have had visions about these things. Their sinful minds have made them proud. And they are not connected to Christ, the head of the body, for he holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments, and it grows as God nourishes it. You have died with Christ, and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of the world, such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe body discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. Let's pray. God, we come before you. We're thankful for your word. We're thankful uh, for Paul and uh, that he wrote this letter. And now we get a, a glimpse into the first century church of what was going on and seeing the parallels of even what we face today, Lord. But Lord, we're thankful that your word is true and inspired by you. We just pray that as we go through this, that it's honoring and worshiping to you, Lord. Whatever you want me to say, I say, and whatever you don't. We just thank you for your spirit. Holy Spirit, you're welcome to just do whatever it is that you feel fit to do in our lives, Lord. And we just pray that um, wherever we're at, at this very moment, that uh, any burdens or or anything that we're carrying that came in um, through these doors this morning, that we... Just set them aside and fully concentrate on you. You're the great healer, the great counselor. You're our God, our Lord, our King. So Lord, as we go through your word, just speak to us now. We thank you. We love you. In Christ's name, amen. You may have a seat. So growing up, did you, or maybe even now, did you have any rules at your home that were different from other people? Did you have any rules growing up that looking back at them, you just kind of say, I don't know why. Maybe even right now, some of you have rules in your home that you have just because they were rules in your home growing up. And if I were to interview you and ask you why you have them, your answer would be, oh, we just do. That's just kind of how we do it, why we do it. Um, I was thinking of some of the rules that I had growing up in my home, and uh, it probably will account for a lot that you see right here. Um, One of the rules that we had growing up that I, well, I won't spoil it for you, is we were not, my brother and I and stepsisters when they were over, we were not allowed to go in the front door when we got home. We had to go through the back door. We had to go through the gate, go around, and go through the back door. I don't know. Um, I uh, recently asked my mom why that was a rule, and she said, oh, because 
you guys were dirty. Okay, well, thanks. Um, but I, I even remember thinking that was the rule that everybody had. So whenever I would go to someone's house, I would go through the back door. Now, that's weird. Like, I know that now. Um, like, coming in and you're like, oh, let's, why are you going through the front door? And everyone looks at you and you're like, why aren't you going through the front door? Like, some of these rules we just had, and, and come to find out, there's probably really good reasons, you know, take off your shoes. There's a sink in the back. You can wash up before you come in. But so many kind of rules, and then whenever you go to your friend's house, and they have different rules, and you think, whoa, that's weird, and you come home, and you tell your parents how weird they are, or all of these different kinds of rules. But where, where did these rules come from, and who said so, and why do we have them? And uh, Paul's addressing this. It's more of a religious nature uh, that he's addressing. And which is so interesting because as David taught last, last week, a great message about how we can't save ourselves, how we can't peel away that sin, that it's Christ. And then immediately the first thing that Paul says, and don't let anyone judge you or condemn you. Like this quick transition. But think about the rules that you had growing up and the rules that you have now. And why do you have them now? And I wrote this down, and as, as I often say, I, I write down a statement to kind of help me keep focused for the week. And this is what I wrote down. I said, our worship and traditions and ceremonies can help us, help bring us close to God. But we should never criti- criticize fellow Christians whose traditions and ceremonies are different from our own, our own. Our worship and our traditions and ceremonies can help bring us close to God. But we should never criticize fellow Christians whose traditions and ceremonies different from our own. Personal preference is not necessarily Christian truth. And, and right off the bat, I'm not saying the core, the pillars, the values, the, the non-negotiables. We're not talking about that. And, and that's what Paul was, he wasn't talking about that, you know, that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, fully God, fully human. He was alive, he died, he rose again. None, none of that, none of that. It's these little guardrails that we put in our lives in order to help us live as Christians, as focus on Christ, which in of itself is not bad, but if they start spreading over to you have tos, these are truths, that's where we get into trouble. Submitting to these regulations to appear to be spiritual. Regulations that appear, that make you appear to be spiritual. And imposing them on others. Paul had to deal with this quite a bit. Jesus had to deal with this quite a bit. Peter had to deal with this quite a bit. Even going back just a couple of years from this time frame. Back in Acts 15 at the Jerusalem Council. When the church was first starting out. And all these people were coming together. And trying to figure it out. And this big thing about food. And what should we do with this meat that was sacrificed to idols. Is it okay? Is it not? And in circumcision, should we, shouldn't we do it in this big old fight within the church already? And the church was only a couple of years old. Just recently, just a couple of months ago, uh, I got a phone call um, at the office. And the man asked me specifically what Bible translation we use. And I told him. And then he told me how awful I was for doing that. And I tend to be sarcastic, so I thought it was a joke. I, I did. I thought, I thought it was one of you pranking me. <laughs> so me and my great nature went on a little too far with this guy until it dawned on me. 
by a very nice look from my wife to realize, hey, this might be serious. And then, oh yeah, it might be serious. But he, he, he told me about all the wrong things it was if we weren't using King James. But he was serious, and that's scary. So what Paul is doing here is he, he's saying right off the bat, bat, verse 16, so do not let anyone condemn you, or do not let anyone judge you. Skip to verse 18, he says condemn, and same word, don't let anyone rule you, don't let anyone be an umpire, call you in or out, safe or out. Back to 16, he says, don't let anyone condemn you, judge you, govern you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days, new moon ceremonies, or Sabbaths. So immediately he's saying, do not let anyone judge you for what you're eating and these holy days and, and uh, a whole bunch of holy days celebrated by the Jewish community before uh, Christ came, which in and of themselves were not bad. It's what God required of them. The need to, to judge on the basics, he's not talking about that. Again, he's talking about the very specific rules and regulations that come to being very pious or very religious. And again, it's, it, we're talking about legalism here. And who knew that this issue in the first century would be the same issue that some churches, sometimes some Christians, face here in 2020. The festivals, he was talking about the annual Festivals, you have to do it on a certain date. The monthly, every month you have to celebrate the, this new moon. The, and not the moon itself, but God's provision of this new month. Uh, the weekly, the Sabbath, what day is the Sabbath. The Jewish people at the time would observe these rituals. And why they were doing it originally is because they were establishing their dedication to the Lord. Uh, while I was over in Egypt, one of the things that the first thing that I noticed, one of the biggest things that I had no clue about being in Egypt, was it really appeared that the Lord took the Israelites into Egypt, into slavery, to show his people what true devotion looked like. A lot of the similarities that you read through the Old Testament that the, that the Jewish rules were founded on was very similar to what the Egyptians were already doing. I know I said it a couple of times, but every year after the Nile had flooded over and, and recessed back, the, the Egyptians would go and repaint and rebuild their temples, their churches. And the example that the guide gave us is, can you imagine once a year rebuilding a new church or repainting a new church? It sounds awful. But what God was doing is he was bringing the Israelites through and saying, look, look at this dedication these people have. Now I want you to have that for me. So, so the Jewish people had always been holding on what they could do, what kind of rules they could do. And now that Jesus Christ had come and freed them from that, and even Jesus said, I didn't come to break the law, I came to fulfill it. But yet now here was this checklist. Because what the Jewish people at the time were so con concerned about, the Jewish people specifically who are Christians now were so concerned, was that all of these people who were coming together was going to bring all these backgrounds and they were going to mess up the way that they liked it. The way that they did church. It was a checklist, a way of keeping track, which is not a bad thing. And I know some of you really like checklists. If you go to your refrigerator, you have a very wonderful organized checklist of the groceries and everything that you need, the chores. It's not bad, but, but when it spills over into your life with Christ, your checklist becomes your God and not God. 
you, if you ever get a little proud to put a big old check mark next to an accomplishment, that's what Paul is warning them about, to not judge, to win the approval of others. So this week, as I was thinking about this, and, and although I don't think for the most part Christians here, at least in America, are fighting over whether or not to eat certain kind of meat for religious reasons, mostly, I started going through and thinking of some of the modern legalisms that has caused division within churches over the last 50 years or so. Now, I'm going to read some of them, and my goal is to make you feel uncomfortable. I, I just, I'm going to read them, and, and just in your own mind, you'll probably immediately say, I'm for that, I'm not for that. I'm not going to give you my opinion, because my opinion is my opinion. It's not the law. And for the most part, I really don't care. Um, so, without any further ado, Christmas. There are some people who feel that having Christmas trees in their house is of the devil's work. Now, I'm not blaming you if you had a Christmas tree in your house. There are some people who believe that Christmas should be celebrated in April because that's really when Jesus was born. Here's a good one. Halloween. Should you dress up or not? Should you go into hiding or not? Should you have a festival or not and call it something else? Schools. This is always a good one. Only public. Only private. Only homeschool. Only Online training, only ship in the military school, only fill in the blank. Communion, how often should members have it? Only wine, only juice. Should we only share one cup? Some of you to that very thought thinks that's the grossest thing in the world. Alcohol, it's good, it's bad, it's indifferent. Political parties, you can only be a Christian if you belong to one party or that party or not that party or this party. Which day of the week should you worship? You can't worship at night. can only worship in the morning. Can't listen to worship music without a worship team. Can't listen to worship music on the radio. Can listen to worship on the radio. What is appropriate on the Sabbath or not? Fishing's okay, but not hooking up your trailer. Um, which is a true story. Somebody invited me several, several years ago and asked me if I wanted to go fishing after church. I said, yes. And I said, I'll come over and help you hitch up your trailer. Like, oh. Hitch up the trailer. We do it on Saturday. That's work. 10-4. <clears throat> so all of these modern things, and I read this list and, and I went through it pretty quick, but some of you, you probably, at least half of the list have already decided in your home, in your hearts, what you do and what you don't do. That is not bad. That's not what Paul was talking about. Sometimes you need guidelines. I know specifically if, if you are a person who has come out of having alcoholism, the thought of having wine at communion would frighten you. And rightfully so. That's fine. The problem that Paul is dealing with and the problem that churches can deal with is when these guardrails that we set up in our lives become rules that we impose in other people. And the key is that Christ has set you free. So in verse 17, Paul goes and, and, and he hits it dead on. He says, for these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. I started looking into shadows. It's pretty interesting. These rules are only shadows. These rules that we had long time ago were only shadows of something to come. 
The interesting thing about shadows is shadows is just kind of sort of a picture of something, but it's not something. Like in, in, uh, in my office, I have a picture of my family. I do not have a picture of the shadows of my family. That would be weird, right? When, when, when you see the shadow that's cast by a tree, you don't think, wow, what a wonderful tree. You just go and see the shadow. And the problem with the shadow is it doesn't really give you a full picture of what the actual thing is. You don't see the full form of it. You only see a glimpse of what is to come, usually. And that's why Paul is describing here that these shadows, these rules are of the reality yet to come, this anticipation. And now that Christ himself is here, the reality is here. He has come to set us free from this, specifically from judging one another on how we see fit to worship the Lord. Again, I'm not talking about the non-negotiables. I wrote this, I said, um, a commentator wrote this. He said, don't let your own preference become a prejudice. Don't let your own preferences become a prejudice. You can see this generationally. You can see this denominationally. You can see this even geographically. And it comes from a place of fear. Our, Paul is talking again about this, this, this notion of we want unity in the church, but yet not uniformity. We want unity. We want to be united in Christ, not just in our church, the church that we call Renew, but all churches that proclaim Jesus. We want unity, and we're not going to have uniformity. We meet in a school. Some other places meet outside. Some places meet in a building, on and on and on. But unity, unity in Christ. And again, going back to that shadow, that's what Paul is saying here. It's seeing the shadow of something. We, because when we only focus on the rules that we put in place, many times we miss what Christ is doing in other people's lives. Again, a couple of weeks ago, um, I talked about going back to the basics and how quickly we can find ourselves being bored about the basics. We can roll our eyes. Here we go again. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Like that can get boring. Uh, but what I've noticed is that it should never be boring. The basics should never be boring. You know, for me personally, every time my kids tell me that they love me when they come home from school or come home from work, I don't go, gee, thanks, you said that last week. I get excited. You still love me. We're still in that phase where I'm not your worst enemy. That's wonderful. I don't get tired of hearing that. So not getting tired of the basics. And again, last week, David was talking about the inability to rid ourselves of sin. And it is Christ and Christ alone who strips away that sin. The church in Colossae had, had people from different backgrounds tummy, coming together and they were blending together and everything is fine and nothing was fine. And this whole um, desire to, to, to see all of these miraculous things take place in other people's lives, which is a whole another issue that Paul is dealing with here. He says in verse 18, do not let anyone condemn you. Again, this is being the umpire to call you out call you safe by insist on pious or religious self-denial or the worship of angels saying they had visions about these things. Their sinful minds had made them proud and they are not connected to Christ, the head of the body. Another thing that was taking place back at this time was this 
this Roman influence, this, this Greek thought of coming in. Again, it was all spiritual, that the body was so sinful that we had to get smarter in different levels. And if we worshiped angels, they could bring us up to different levels and leave people behind. And basically at the heart of it, if you didn't see a true miracle, whatever that meant, then you weren't holy enough. And I've seen that in people's lives. In my lifetime, personally, again, miracles. I mean, the, the fact that we wake up every morning is a miracle. But, but these defined miracles where someone is miraculously, uh, a struggle that they had is miraculously gone. It's been my experience that that happens very few times. Many, many times the Lord wants us to depend on him so much that he doesn't remove something. He brings us through something. He carries us through something. I, can, I mean, I can think it through my whole life, and you probably can too, of all of these things that we prayed, specific prayers, these specific miracles, and they didn't happen how we hoped for. At this time that Paul wrote this, the Colossians were thinking, if you don't see these miraculous signs, look at Paul, look at Saul. He had this great encounter with the Lord, this light, knocked him down. If you don't have that, then it doesn't count. I remember um, even in, in junior high, when it was time to share your testimony, and I was always disappointed that I didn't have a cool testimony these rag-to-riches testimony that my, that my testimony of growing up in the church and accepting Christ and, and uh, wasn't a good enough testimony and hearing all of these miraculous testimonies only to be convicted that a testimony is a testimony and it is miraculous. The fact that God came to save us is miraculous. But at this time, there, there's this desire to, to experience all this. It's, and, and we even see this today where people say the fleece. We're trying to, to put out a fleece to test God, to see if this is what God wants. God, if, if you want us to do this, you're going to have to make the sun go upside down and do these crazy things. Well, who, who are we to tell God what to do? And that's what they were hoping for, that they see these miraculous things to confirm. The problem, though, is, is you can get drunk off searching for a miracle. You get so caught up in, in desiring to see these miraculous things unfold before your eyes in order to trust God. But in reality, what God wants more than any of that is a relationship with you. And really, the closer and the continual relationship that you have in Christ, you start to realize that there are miracles around you every moment of every day. And Paul is fighting this. He, he's saying, don't judge. Don't let people condemn you. Again, he says this pious self-denial of the worship of angels, saying you see these visions. Their sinful minds have made them proud, and they are not connected to the head. Then there was the opposite group of people. There was the people who had all these rules. And then there were these people that said, nah, everything goes. God forgave you. You're fine. If it feels good, it's good. If it's not, he'll forgive you. And, and even hearing that right now, you might be thinking, oh, that's scary. Well, it is scary. Just as scary as having so many rules that prevent a relationship with Christ. This mysticism was coming in. This, these, Greek, these Greek thinkers... We're trying to take Christianity 
and finding where it could be applicable to their Greek thoughts. Not abandoning everything they believed in. How can we fit Christianity into what we like and what we already believe in? Can we just take a little piece of this and do what we want? As if there was no guidelines, no consequences. Just take the good and not the bad. And, and this freedom that Paul is writing about, freedom in Christ, it's real freedom. It's freedom to have a relationship with him. And these people were fighting over, the more things you don't do, the closer you are to God, which is completely wrong. Only as we love and we pray together, the differences, the different denominations that believe in Jesus Christ, the differences, once, once we work together, come together, then that's really where we start seeing the whole picture of Christ come together. Those who don't know him, those who are non-believers, that's what they're waiting to see in us as Christians, is this coming together, this the struggle in our lives to live for Christ as best as we can through his spirit, not as individuals, but as a community of believers that are coming together. That's why Paul is writing, there's no extra special days to worship. The Sabbath or not, every day is a special day. There's not anything magical for the day that you worship the Lord, if you are worshiping the Lord every day, whether it's Sunday, Saturday, Friday, Wednesday, whatever the day is. All days are special when you meet Christ. To die to oneself. Because once we get to the point where we come and we believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And then really believe that he's changed us. And then have this great desire for the Great Commission to share that news. It really starts to erase pride. And that's the pride that's uh, spoken about in verse 18. Andrew Murray, he wrote this. I really like this quote. It says, there's no pride so dangerous None so subtle and insidious as the pride of holiness. Not holiness of itself, but the pride of holiness. To modernize it, the pride of thinking that you've arrived to become the perfect Christian is a scary, scary thing. And so why? Why is this? And Paul answers this in verse 20. He says, you have died with Christ and he has set you free. And the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of the world? Such as, and it must have been some kind of mantra. It could have been a poster in their, in their church, if you will, that says, don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. That might be a pretty good one in your house, right? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. Don't do anything, nothing. But he's saying that, that's not the point. Verse 22, such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. These guidelines, these, these, these rules that we put in place, they're not what saves you. Your work is not what saves you. Your work is not what brings you closer to God. You have died with Christ and he has set you free. Paul is telling the church in Colossae, don't go back to the strenuous religious activity that takes your focus off of loving God and loving others. And you know what? We've been adding rules to what God has said since, since basically the beginning of, the, of time. Remember in the garden 
Remember when the serpent comes to Eve and he says, hey, what about that tree over there, the tree of good knowledge? And Eve says, no, we can't do it. But, but what she says, she says specifically, when Eve responds to the serpent, she says, she says this. In verse 2 of Genesis 3, she says, she says, and I'll paraphrase, we must not eat fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. True. God said that. And then she added something. And we must not touch it or we will die. God did not say that we must not touch it. So even at the beginning, she made these rules. Now, it may have been a good rule. It could have been a good rule. Sure, if you don't want to eat something, you probably shouldn't touch it. Totally makes sense. I get it. But even her, in her defense, she adds to what God had said. Have you found yourself doing that? Because you're just trying to emphasize a point a little bit, just to drive it home a little bit more. I find that parents do that a lot. And for good reasons, we really, really, really strongly desire to raise godly children, grandchildren, nieces and nephews, a community of believers. So what we do is we put all of these rules and restrictions, like going through the back door or whatever it is, right? But that's not the point. It's the why. Why did you add these rules and what is the reason? And I think if we're honest about, hey, look, this is an area of my life that I struggle in. So in order for me to get beyond this, here are some of the guidelines, some of the guardrails that I've added in my life. Now it works for me. I'll show you what I do. But if it doesn't work for you, figure out what works for you. The most important thing is your relationship with Christ. It's the shock. Again, going back to that one guy that invited me to go fishing and I said, yeah, I'll help you hook up the trailer. I mean, he literally grabbed his heart like I slapped him. <gasps> we'll do that on Saturday. We do not work on the, door, the Lord's day. But we can put a, a worm on the hook. Like, gotta be careful. But also, a couple of weeks later after that, he even came to me on a Monday and he handed me his check for his tithe and he said, I'm sorry I didn't give this on, to you on Sunday. I don't care. And uh, he said, you know, because I forgot to fill it out on Saturday and I can't fill out my check on, on Sunday. What a hard life to live. What a hard life to live and expect of other people. So, so why all of this? Why does Paul close Colossians 2, what we call Colossians 2 with this? He, we do this whole, he does this whole celebration of what Christ has done because he knows he knows us. He knows how in our desperate attempts to grow closer to God that we sometimes add these stressors in other people's lives for the sake of hoping and helping. And we call that legalism. One of the questions that I wrote for, for the life group that you can already start thinking about is, is I wrote that I don't think we intentionally come out and say, I'm going to be legalistic. But how do we become legalistic? At what point do we fall into the line that these are the rules and no longer their opinions or my guard, or guardrails or my family's guardrails, but we push them on to other people. Again, Paul is stressing here at the early start of this church because he knows unity, not uniformity. 
if what you do to help you connect with God that is extra is preventing you from doing what God called you to do, you're not doing it right. If these guardrails that you've put up are preventing you from someone else coming to know and love the Lord, you should reconsider what you're doing. If it is preventing you from loving God and loving others and becoming judgmental, you should reconsider what is going on. Again, Paul is not stressing the, about eating the meat and whether or not to worship these holy days. He's stressing that Jesus Christ came. He died on the cross for our sins. So that way we can have freedom in him to be with him. Not adding all these extra steps to grow close to him. And if these extra steps are what you need in your life, don't, don't expect that from the same of other people. So as we close, just just want to spend some time just praying and thanking God that in his grace and his mercy that he's able to forgive us when we fall short of that. In his grace and his mercy of all the rules that we've added in our lives that we've pushed on to other people, thankful for his love and mercy to help us forgive. The world is waiting to see Christians of all different types come together and worship him. That's what the world needs to see is unity, not uniformity. Let's pray. God, we just come before you. We're thankful for who you are. Thank you for Paul's word as he's writing and describing the different relationships with different Christians coming with different backgrounds coming together. And even in our own church here, what we call Renew, we all come from a different background and uh, different situation, different upbringing, Lord. But yet we, we pray for unity, Lord. We pray for unity in you. We know that you died on the cross so that way we can have a relationship with you, directly with you, Lord. And we're thankful that we get to come together and in that we get to have a relationship all together. And our heart's desire is to grow closer to you, Lord, and to share that good news. And not with a bunch of rules and regulations, Lord, that we bestow on other people. And yet it may help us in some areas of our life, which is great, Lord. But Lord, ultimately, let people see love, grace, and mercy, Lord, that you showed us. Lord, let us be united together as we come and we worship you, Lord. Lord, let us, as we come and interact with other Christians throughout the community, around the world, that have different ways of doing things, let us have an open mind to see why they do it. Again, not the non-negotiables, Lord, but just the way. Let us have a fuller picture. Let us not focus on the shadow, Lord, but fully on you. You, the real living God. Thank you for this church that we get to worship you. And as we continue on to worship you in songs, Lord, speak to us. We thank you. We love you. In Christ's name, amen. Amen.